You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. It's uh it's great every time we get to go through these things with a with a new church that that you just make friends so fast and and you guys um I feel like you've already adopted me in but it says so much about Stephen Carey because they've just been so hospitable and generous and he reaches out bro we're so excited what can I do for you I'm like I'm good bro <laughs> I got the link and, but I mean they just go overboard and you guys have made me feel that way and I really really appreciate it this is a wonderful thing and so uh 14 days in. Now, if you remember, I introduced you to, to Roots, you know, first go around, right? Okay, Roots represents potential. He's the branch that had to fall from the tree flat on his back. Somebody had to see him for what he could be. He had to get, you know, beat up a little bit to get on his road. And then he went on his world tour to inspire people. And in one way or another, life is going to get our attention. And we can be doing better than anybody's ever done, and life shows up. Where you can be in a season where, man, you're really, really struggling, and life shows up, and it doesn't ask permission, and it stops on a dime, man. Just like, you know, it, it happened, the whole world stopped. And then everything that we've been going through, many of us maybe are kind of spiritually flat on our back. And it's not that you're doing horribly. It's just that, man, you just want more. And if you're feeling that way, it's like, I want more. I want to feel him. I want to see him. I want to hear from him. I want to, I want to connect with him. Maybe not just, not just the way I did in the beginning, but in a new way that I've never done before. If that's, if that's inside of you, man, I feel you because that's exactly where this journey began was a yearning inside of me that I wanted more. Religion had not been enough for me. And so it started this, this crazy quest. Last week we talked about Uncle G. Now, have you been paying have you been paying attention to his his trash talking this week? Has anybody been listening to the voice in the head? And you start hearing the stories that he tells. <laughs> Uncle G, now don't get too mad at him because he doesn't come up with any original material. The dude is a brain. He's an organ. He doesn't have a brain. He doesn't have a conscience. He doesn't have a will. He's just this incredibly sophisticated technology that God has given us to be able to interact with him. And it's an amazing thing if we learn how to operate it, but that joker will run things if you don't pay attention to him. And so if you remember last week, he's the original Google. You you ask him the right question, he will go find you an answer. He's the original GPS. You plug in a destination, a goal, a dream, an impossible prayer, and Uncle G knows how to take you there. But he's also the original gangster. I mean, he's going to tell the same stories. He's a learning machine. All right. So everybody just sees the outside package. You don't see the the journey that's gotten you to where you are. And we certainly don't hear the voice in the head. All right. It's that that chatter. Your spouse doesn't even hear the voice in the head. You know, you might kind of be able to see it sometimes when you really start getting to know each other a little bit. You know, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> but, you know, that voice in the head is a private thing. It's just you and you. And it's Uncle G talking his smack. And unfortunately, the majority of the people on the planet are going to have the same thoughts today that they had yesterday, just regurgitated material. The same thoughts, the same self-talk, the same complaints, the same excuses, the same whatever, the same life is going on. And there's many, many people that they don't understand that they are not their brain. 
and that they have the power to change that voice, to take captive every thought, make it obedient, and then learn how to use our language. The tongue holds the power of life and death, and with it, you'll eat its fruit. I mean, you've got power in the thoughts, every thought, 50,000 thoughts today. You had 50,000 of them, and it's still tick, 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 tick. It's going right now. It's the quality of those thoughts and the management of those thoughts. Otherwise, it's the same voice, the same story, the same thing day after day, wondering why we can't change. If we don't change our thinking, we can't change our lives because that's where it all is processed. So this whole thing is trying to get Uncle G to try some new things. Now, if you're 14 days in, it's like, it! I hadn't even hit my knees one time because, man, I get out of bed and head to the bathroom and I forget. Don't get mad at yourself. Uncle G is holding on to a habit that you've had for as many years as you've been alive. That's a long time. That's an old habit. And now all of a sudden you're trying to retrain the brain to where your first waking moments, you just fall over onto your knees and just say, good morning, Abba, and just start your day. Boom. It doesn't have to be long. It's a connection. It's like a kiss with your wife. It's like, okay, we've connected. Our day can begin. Instead of letting the phone do it, because now it's in your hand, it just woke you up and you see that text. I might as well check it out. And then before you know it, you're 15 minutes down the road. You've already checked emails and texts and Facebook and Instagram and everything else. Maybe I'm just talking to me, but somebody out there is probably, you know, <laughs> the phone gets the attention first. And Uncle G, it's already consuming. And that's how he gets programmed. So over 40 days, what if we give him new thoughts? What if we give him new habits? If you've been hitting your knees first thing every morning, I guarantee you it's getting easier. This morning it was it was effortless, you know. Wait till a week from now. Wait till a month from now. Wait till 40 days. I've been doing it for eight years. I can't get out of bed any other way. It would be hard to train my brain to get out of bed without hitting my knees now. Because Uncle G is going to he's gonna form habits and he's going to hold on to them because God created him that way. So we don't have to learn new things every single day. So these steps are just ways to shake him loose a little bit and let you be in control of him. I'm going to make you hit your knees, and we're going to talk to God first. I'm going to write down prayers that scare me a little bit, and I'm going to look at them every day. Man, I'm going to carry those prayers with me throughout the day, not just forgetting them when I leave the prayer closet. I'm going to take measurable steps toward those miracles every day, so I'm not going to ask God something and then not be willing to make a move. Because what is that? It's not faith. Man, I'm going to start journaling and writing down the fingerprints of God, and I'm going to make Uncle G begin a new habit of looking for God everywhere I go. And I'm going to show him I'm paying attention. And when I'm wrong, I'm just going to make it right. I'm going to repent quick. Okay, so don't get all jacked up and take your eyes off of God. Just go ahead and repent, clean it out, and then choose gratitude. Whatever we're trying to erase, we must replace. Okay, so if you're, if you're trying to erase complaining, man, you've got to inject praise. Whatever you're trying to release, you've got to replace. Otherwise, Jesus says the, the house will be swept clean, and that demon will go out and get seven buddies and come back and re-inhabit, and it'll be worse. We've got to change the mind. If we can change our thinking, we can change our life, because then God can begin to interact with us. The questions of Jesus, and we're going to start with the question of Jesus tonight. The questions, he didn't have to ask any questions. Like He had all the answers. And he did not do a lot of the talking. If you pay attention, watch him as he moves. He does a lot of listening. He asks very strategic questions, and he pays attention. 
and he gives his full attention to only the person in front of him. He loves each person completely. He is all in. He's not distracted. He knows what he knows, but he also wants to know what do you know? So he asked questions to reveal the heart. You remember last week we talked about the man that was 38 years at the at the pool, you know, paralyzed. And Jesus said, do you want to get well? Man, it's been there for a long time. And he didn't even answer the question. It was a yes or no question. Jesus wanted to know, Do you, are you ready? Are you ready for your miracle? Well, I can't do it because he gets in there first. And every time I try, I get stepped on. I'm not as big as everybody else. And plus, I got a bad spot. They get better seats than me. And it just kept going on and going on and going on. It's just excuses. You ever ask somebody a simple question? <laughs> With many words, sin is not absent. <laughs> and that's what this man was all about. He wasn't trying to get well. He just wanted some legs. There's a difference. He did not want to get well because the next day, Jesus found him somewhere he wasn't supposed to be. <laughs> I'm not sure where he was or what he was doing, but Jesus straightened him. And so here's the thing. Before we say, yes, I want to get well, count the cost. If I give you legs... I want you to come down here and serve these brothers and sisters that don't have theirs yet. I want you to show them how grateful you are for the legs I'm about to give you. Don't pray for your marriage to be well and you're not ready to serve that queen. Don't do it. You know, don't pray for the job that's going to rescue the family and then not work hard to go and find it. Whatever it is, we've got to take a step. So anyway, I can go on and on. Uncle G is paying attention to what you're paying attention to today. And all day, every day. So tonight, we're going to give them some new stuff. So I'm going to read the question. This is after, this is the week two discussion. It's after day 14. It's in Matthew 20, beginning in verse 29. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Jesus, he's moving along. He's a rock star at this point. Whole crowds are following him. It's an entourage. And there's one voice Jesus, have mercy. Now, I want to talk to the person that is invisible, the one that is not encouraged about this project, the one that feels defeated before we've even started, the one who feels like I've tried these things before. They don't work for me. The one that's feeling like, man, I'm just going to quit again because I always quit everything I start. The one that feels like, Man, I don't even I don't even hear this, much less feel it, because my heart's too hard. Or the one who's feeling like I'm not about trying to get another broken heart. You're asking me to pray for the things that my heart wants the most. I am I'm afraid to go there and I'm not gonna go there. There's too much pain in that broken heart. See, I want to talk to somebody that feels like unimportant to Jesus right now. And I want to challenge you. In every story, as he walks through the villages and on the roads and out in the countryside, he is drawn to the person that feels like all the things I just said. The one that feels lonely, misunderstood, and confused. The one that feels like, man, these things don't work for me. The one that feels like everybody's fired up and why is it always me that just doesn't get it. You're the one that he comes to. 
And he does it again right here with this man. Out of all the noise and all the people and everybody, the important folks trying to get to him, people trying to shut that man up because the teacher is busy, tend to him. And Jesus said, no, no, I came for him. (laughs) And he comes over and he asks another question. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, this man, he's not complaining, blaming, arguing, excuse making. He said, I want to see. I just want to see. If there's one thing that I pray that this 40-day project does is that it gives you new eyes that can see. Do you remember the one day, I'm not sure if you've hit it yet, where, where uh, Elisha is there with his servant Gehazi. And they're in an unwinnable situation, man. They're surrounded on all sides, man. It's a bad day. And Gehazi's freaking out. And then <laughs> Elisha's just cool. And he's, he's, he's like his partner's freaking out. Like, wait, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? He said, Lord, open his eyes. The scales fell off his eyes. And he looked up and he's like, chariots of fire were surrounding the enemies of God. It's just that he couldn't see. It was Saul. That was, man, murderous threats. I mean, he was driven that he did not see the kingdom. He did not see the Messiah. He did not see the movement, the way. He didn't see it, but he had good vision. And then all of a sudden, boom, he lost that vision for a few days. And then God had Ananias touch him and scales fell from his eyes. He looked up and he's like, oh, my God, the movement of God. I think I shall go and spread it. It was an eyesight problem. So what we're trying to do over 40 days is to try to regain our eyesight and see things the way that God does. And instead of thinking that he doesn't answer our prayers, we're going to open our eyes and start paying attention and realize that he is all over us and he's never, ever not working. Jesus taught us that. So what's your one thing? If Jesus stopped everything, entourage stopped, Let me out. I got to go over here and walk straight up to you. We're 14 days into this thing. Man, have you really put down the things that you've got to have help with? I'm talking about the things that you want really bad. And there's plenty of evidence that God says, ask me. Well, what if it's not in accordance with his will? You'll find out, but you'll never know if you don't ask. Are you writing down things that scare you? Are you writing down things that own you and rule you? What's the one thing if God set you free from it would change everything? Is the one relationship that you're the most worried about on there? Are the people that you love the most that you're afraid, are they on there? I mean, have you put your heart on that page and have you looked at it every day? And if not, guilt's overrated. if If you've stumbled through the first 14 days, Who cares? All that matters is right here, right now, right here. It's all that matters is what do you want him to do for you? Do you have an answer for that? Because I tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to back up to 2005. And that's when I, I came to my senses and I said, I'll go back to my father's house. He's got plenty of room and I can go be a hired hand. I'm not worthy to be a son, but I can go back and I could be, I could be there. It's better than this. And, of course, he gets the party, and they strike up the band, and the brother's mad, and he's back home again. And that's where I was. I stopped drinking at the end of 2005. That was a big deal. I'd never been able to win that battle, but I was serious now. 
And then all of a sudden, man, I'm sober. I'm ready. Like, what am I going to do now? But I got all this wreckage behind me, and it ain't too far behind me. And there's a lot of clatter. And so I know the thing that I wanted so bad was to preach. I mean, all the other things, of course, man, I want I wanted to be close to him and, and never, ever, ever go where I went. I want my family close to me, man. I want my purpose, the church, all that. Yes. But what do you want, son? I mean, what can I do for you, son? I want to preach, but I couldn't preach. There's nowhere I'm going to let me preach. And so where the heck was I going to preach or, or do I not get to? And so that's when I prayed that prayer. And I said, if you let me preach, I'll go to the harassed and helpless. The hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the stranger, the sick, and the prisoner. Now, out of all those, the hungry, you guys are having a food drive for them. And I'm excited about that. And you guys are going to get to meet some. I would encourage you to find out their names and where they are from and get them to tell you some things about themselves. The thirsty Man, we take care of the thirsty, even people in addiction. You know, we have we have a heart for people that are too thirsty, and we have places where they can go. The sick, oh, my gosh, we tend to them. And we go and we take, you know, there's ministries to go into hospitals to the stranger. Oh, man, invite them in. You know, we got to take care of lonely people and abused people and neglected people. We have to. And the naked, we give them clothes. We do clothing drives, all of those. But at the end of the line is the prisoner. The prisoner is the least of the least of these because it's the least and it's the one that's hated and feared and forgotten. And yet Jesus would say this. Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Whatever you did for them, you did for me. And so this became, this changed my life. I had preached this so many times and I did not get it. I could preach this thing, man. I could make you cry. <laughs> I mean, I could get you fired up. I could get myself fired up about being sheep and not goats. And yet if I look at my 15-year ministry career, how much of my ministry was to the least of these? There was nothing there. And that's just the truth. And so it wasn't like, oh, no, I'm going to go to hell if I don't love some least of these. No, it's like I just want to preach. Maybe they get, can I preach to them? And God did magic because here's, here's the mystery and the secret. They don't need us. We need them. The least of these, Jesus said, whatever you do for them, you do for me. That is where I'll be. You want to find me for real, for real? Go to the least of these. Commune with them. Get to know them. Love them. And you will find me because that is where I will be. And I found that secret. But it took three years. And I'm going to tell you this. There are some things that you're going to pray about over the next 40 days, and you are going to let your hopes get up. And then you're going to be tempted to think that 
he said no once again or that he didn't hear you at all. Sometimes the biggest miracles, they have a gestation cycle. And that seed that's planted takes a minute to grow. But when it's time to grow, it grows. And it took three years before God showed up and said, remember that promise you made to me? That if I told you you were going to preach again, well, you weren't ready to preach three years ago, but now I'm ready, I'm ready for you to go to preach. Where you want me to go? Is it a big church conference? Are they ready to take me back? Now I got a different assignment for you. And he, he sent me into Georgia's most beautiful, dangerous maximum security prison in the middle of a, a gang war. Can everybody see that? Is that pretty good? This is the latest book that I just put out, my sixth, and it's about the U.S. prison industrial complex. And it's about prison reform and how we're going to shatter the pipeline from schools to prisons. So if you get drawn to any of the work that I, that I talk about, then I'd love for you to, to read it and let me know what you think. That's my beautiful wife, Terry. I didn't think it'd be right to go on with this story without showing you my beautiful bride. That's the angel God sent to this old knucklehead and that's the best dog in the world right there thing's brave <laughs> this is a man that he's doing life without the possibility of parole and he's my brother he's my friend he's my confidant he's my consigliere he's my bodyguard he has saved my life before and we are as close to real brothers as you can get and i am dedicated to seeing him in the free world at some point, I do not accept life without the possibility of parole. He's like a modern-day King Mandela Gandhi, amazing man. And so I always want to pay tribute to him. The movement started with this man. This is at Hay State Prison back in 2010. And Georgia has about 30 prisons. This is the last one on the block. It's the worst one. Out of 1,200 men, they've got... 700 of them are active and affiliated. So they got more active gang members than any prison in the state. And when wars break out in the prison system in Georgia, when they get to Hayes, it's it's all over because that's where the soldiers are. And so it, they just put the worst of the worst there. And that was where God invited me into. And I started making friends. This is your brother, Andre. He's a high-ranking gangster disciple. And when I met him, I did not know it. But he was waiting for somebody to call him to do something great. He went to his gang. He said, you need to let me go. God's calling me on a mission. And he did it respectfully, and they gave him the blessing. And he became what would be the, the prison you know, leader of this young peace movement. And we began to, to get together every Tuesday. That's the original crew. And that's the day when all of them were baptized. So I didn't have a place where I was I was going. You know, I was like, I wasn't going to church anywhere and I wasn't trying to preach, you know, anywhere. <laughs> and so God said, all right, well, let's go ahead and create a little congregation, you know, in Georgia's worst prison. And so those are your brothers, two small Batman, Chewy, Garduno, White Boy, Birdie Boy, and Big Mo. And those are the original guys, man. I mean, they saved my life. And, you know, more on them to come. But we started getting together on Tuesdays and dreaming. And dreams are, are dangerous in a prison. This is a max prison. And most guys are doing long terms. 
dangerous place and, and you can't just be a dreamer put your dreamer you know you can't just go to church bad things happen in church in prison <laughs> business deals get done bad things happen at church and so you know all the things you hear it's not it's not the way it really is and these guys stood up in a place where you don't stand up and they began to dream that maybe their lives weren't over yet and they wanted to make a difference and so we dreamed about how in the world we could bring peace to this this prison and lightning struck and we caught it in a bottle and it was it was the most amazing thing it was an it was a divine idea that we would start a peace movement on Dr. King's birthday in 2011 January 18th was the MLK day that year and we started 40 days of peace and it happened at a hope conference in Philadelphia I went up and spoke at it about my prison work and standing in the back I had the idea and it was like man we could do a peace movement in honor of Dr. King and we'll do it 40 days, 40 days of peace. And I went back and I told the warden, I said, warden, I got it. And da, da, da. And he goes, I don't know what you're thinking, but we ain't doing that. And so he poured water on my dream. And I said, well, can I do it with my little class? And he's like, do whatever you want back there, but I don't want to hear about it out here. And I was like, roger that. And so I went back and we started working together and dreaming. And we signed a peace pledge. We're going to live nonviolently for 40 days. We had a crip, a blood, a gangster disciple, a Latin king, an Aryan brotherhood, a militant black Muslim. And uh, I think that was the original crew. And they were supposed to keep it to themselves. And they didn't keep it to themselves. <laughs> so they started telling everybody. And that dude up there, Andre, that one first one was baptized, he went off. And he's bringing gang leaders to me. And he's bringing heavy guys. He's like, hey, man, these guys want in. And so finally, the warden calls for me. And he says, you know, what did you do? I told you not to do that. I said, I, I, I'm sorry. I told him to keep it to himself. And he said, well, you have to manage it. And I said, what's that look like? And he gave me the most powerful guys in the prison on Friday mornings in the small chapel with no officers present. These are rivals. And we started a peace council and they began to call different shots. And we saw hits called off. We saw riots put down. We saw all kind of violence started to just fall. And it got so peaceful that summer because of these guys dreaming and us working that that prison won institution of the year that year in the state of Georgia and went from worst to first. And that put me on the map. And so I was invited to go to Michigan. Now, Michigan was having a real serious problem with the bloods. They were recruiting real heavy and they were just, I won't tell you what they were doing, but it was a real problem in this prison in Michigan. And she had heard me speak. And so that beautiful warden right there, Miss Mary, she had me come up and we launched the 40 days to peace. And in Michigan, there's a very strong Muslim population. And so this brother right here is Lynch Bay. He's the most powerful dude in the prison, happens to be a Muslim, and that's his right hand. That's one of his soldiers. That's an up-and-comer. I mean, these are this guy here. Well, he almost got dealt with. These guys, there's no way you could bring peace to a prison without the, the Muslim brothers. And so what did Paul do? He said, to the Jew, I became a Jew to win the Jew. To the Greek, I became a Greek. To the Gentile, a Gentile. If there would have been Islam, Paul would have said, to the Muslim, I become the Muslim. So I started making friends with Mr. Lynch Bay. It took me a total of a year to win his respect to where he came to me and he said, I got you. And I said, what does that mean exactly? <laughs> and he said, no more violence. 
and he started making sure and violence began to decline. But it was because I treated him as a brother and I went to him and I asked him to teach me about Islam, teach me about the Moors, the sect that he belongs to. And he began to ask me questions and we began to be very cool. And if I ever have a chance to see Mr. Lynch Bay come this way, it's because he feels respected. And he feels valued and he is a wise brother. And so I'd be stupid not to get his advice if I'm trying to bring peace to his prison. That prison became three to five times more peaceful than any prison in the state of Michigan. So then they heard about it and we went next door to Ohio. Ohio is where this thing started to become a movement. Okay, you can see me up front and I've got the, the arm in the air. This is at the end. They've just made their pledge. You can see they're all wearing the same wristbands. All right, so this is the first little way we pull them together. And it says... I am the power of peace. And so that's what they're yelling. I say, one, two, three, and they say, we are the power of peace. And so all these guys, there's rivals in this group. and But they're bonded together and try to live nonviolently for 40 days at a time. And then we start studying the great ones, study King and Mandela and Gandhi. And by design, it's not a Christian program. It's inclusive to bring peace to the institution so that brothers that want to now will have the freedom to go to church and they can, you know, begin to learn and study. We've seen Muslim brothers that have converted because of the program that brings people together. I think we need to start changing the way we see the other and learn how to become all things to all men, to all women, in order that we might win some, become the other. Man, become the Republican to re- win the Republican. Become the Democrat. Become the transgender. Become the, become the other. Feel them is what it means. Feel them. That's what Paul did. And see, this is a ministry where oh, these brothers, they love hard. This is the least of the least of these. And there is power in these prisons that is it's magnetic. And it became a movement. And they let us put these T-shirts on and say, hope is the new dope, which is kind of our our anthem, and they love it, man. So I got a big old tattoo of it. Some of them started getting it. And so this brother right here, he's an Aryan Brotherhood shot caller, all right? And he's one of the most powerful guys in the prison. This is after he had changed. Just to tell you that things are not always as they seem. An Aryan Brotherhood is a white supremacist. The ABs run the white supremacy in the prison system. They're known for contract murder. Okay, this, this, he was a very violent man. He went in at 17, and he got out at 51. He grew up in prison. He's my brother, Stan, and he just got out about six months ago. He's been down 33 years. He, God so thoroughly converted him that as a hateful Nazi Aryan gang leader, he so changed that he befriended a young man that happened to be a blood and happened to be a brother of color. And they became friends and they started working together. And his friend was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer in prisons. They don't have hospice care and they're not trying to, they they don't do a lot for you. And this brother was just going to have to die on his own, but he had a friend named Stan. And do you believe a man like that? could become someone that would get up at 5.30 every morning and he would go down to his brother's cell and his brother had ballooned to about 400 pounds because all the drugs that they were giving him for this, you know, for his colon cancer, his bowels no longer worked. So at 5.30, he'd go in, he'd get him up out of bed, he'd stand him up 
and he would wash the filth off his body and he would wash his bed and his sheets because nobody else would. And he did it every day until that brother passed away. That's what a friend does. So do you think he changed? You think God converted him to where how could you take personification of hate? I stand. I can't judge Stan. I've never shown anybody that kind of love. Hands and knees, filth all around you, and you're bathing your friend, knowing you're going to do it again tomorrow. In a prison, there's heroes behind these wires. Stands out, and we're profiling him in a documentary that we're um, that we're making. <clears throat> we took it out west to Kansas, and this is where these brothers are getting ready to to make their pledge of nonviolence. And look who they're they're hearing about the original brothers, the eight at Hayes. And so this is where MS-13 came on board. MS-13, most dangerous gang in the in the world, really. But there, it's impossible to get them to play along with other guys, and we did it in Kansas. We had a whole row of 13s, which is unheard of. God was doing things that never seen before. We hopped across the border to Nebraska and went to the women's prison in case any of the sisters are like, what about the ladies? You know what? They're doing the exact same program that you guys are doing, and this is their graduation celebration. So they did 40 days of prayer. And I came in and launched it, and they got all excited, man. The women's prisons are a trip. I mean, don't think that they're not as ruthless as the men's, because they are. But the women, oh, my gosh, they got so much love. And so when we have the graduation, they get certificates because they've completed something. And this is in Nebraska, so I was all the way back here. So the warden reached out and said, hey, can you come back for the graduation? And I was like, sure. And she said, we want to surprise them. And not let them know you're coming. So I come out there in the middle of the winter. It's snowy. It's hard to get a tall guy, a man, through a women's prison in the middle of the snow. But they managed to sneak me through and get me into the chapel and then sequester me in a room back behind the, 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 in the back of the chapel. And so all the women came in, and they were buzzing around, and they said, okay, let's start sharing good news. Who wants to share one of their miracle prayers, you know, that got answered? And I'm sitting back there, and I'm like, God, please, at least one of them, you know. And one put her hand up and said, my charge keeps me from seeing my son. And I prayed, God, please change the the judge's heart so I can see my son. And last week, my son came to visit me. And they're like, ah, everybody's cheering and everything. And then another one raised their hand and said, "My, my dad has diabetes. And I can't be there to take care of him. It breaks my heart. And now it's taken his eyesight. And I prayed to God that he would give him his eyesight back and he can see, and they're like, woo, it's just like, and they're going around the horn. One lady said, she goes, all 10 of my impossible prayers were answered, and I'm sitting back there on my knees just crying. I'm just weeping, man, because I just can't, they, I'm just listening. It's magic, and so finally, they're like, we have a surprise, you know, and then uh, we got somebody who came to see you, so they opened the door. I came out. Man, it was like a mosh pit. They bombed me, you know, the dog pound kind of thing, so it was, uh, it was a beautiful uh oh, how come uh, my thing froze? Help, Kenny. <laughs> Maybe hit escape kit and then uh, re- reset it. Sometimes that helps. Yeah, I hit escape and it's uh, it's not doing anything. We're gonna do this. I'll stop share, and then I will share. Because we're heading down the home stretch. 
right. <laughs> so then we took it to the youth. So it's like, well, it works with the, you know, the, the big guys and it works with the ladies. Will it work with the youth? Over on the right, these are the heartless felons. This is a juvenile prison in Ohio. They've been featured on Gangland. These are their enemies, the HBs. And they fought all the time, and they kept sending kids to the hole. Well, isolation affects the brain. The brain gets sick when we're separated. And a lot of that's happened as we've been quarantined from one another. Well, these boys, they were just fighting all the time, so they brought us in and see if we could lower the violence. And basically all we did was just get the one gang leader who is – Mr. White, the other gang leader, Mr. Evans, and we put them at the same table like we do with Goss and their rivals, and they began to do life together. You get close enough to see somebody and look in their eyes and hear their story and walk a mile with them. It's harder to judge. It's harder to hate. It's the solution for what divides America. we got to get close enough to see each other and feel each other and be able to communicate they became best friends, and, and uh, the boys stopped fighting. It was, you know, basically they're just kids. So we took it some more. Then went to Ukraine. That was a trip. That's a prison in Ukraine. That guy right there, the colonel, he kept trying to get me a drink vodka. He's like, vodka. And I'd be like, no, I'm good, bro. He's like, no, vodka. It's customary. I'm like, no, really, I, I'm good. And he's like, no, respect vodka. I'm like, bro, if, if I drink, I'm going to stay. <laughs> I don't want to stay in your prison. So finally he got to let it go. That was good. <laughs> But that's a whole other prison up there. Oh, then all the way down in South Africa in a Zulu prison called Westville. Man, we danced and we sang. Those brothers have so much beautiful energy. Amazing. Ooh, that's in a prison in Honduras. And that is MS-13. That's where they live. Back in this prison, there are no officers. I mean, you're basically just back there, you know, so they're going to have to take care of you or not. And they did. They, they took very good care of me, to tell you the truth. As I start to wrap it up, this is a prison in La Mesa uh, in Tijuana, Mexico, and that's a 5,000 men took that prison over and held it for 30 days, and they had to bring tanks in to take the prison back, and they did, and they set the, the prison on fire, and I actually know the inmate who set the fire, and so this kind of put the, the prison on the map, so I was asked to go there, and we did the program, we had the, the prison program, 40 Days to Freedom, made into Spanish, and we went in there, and they gave us 50 guys. They didn't know what we were there for. I don't speak Spanish, but I had an interpreter named Jesus, so that was good. I had Jesus with me. And 50 guys in the toughest block in a cartel prison came in not having a clue what we were going to do together, and that's what we did. After 40 days, we had our celebration. Oh, man, we played. There's cartel guys in that in that picture. And you'd be amazed when you get close enough to see somebody's story and you share with them. Man, you want to be fruitful? Make a friend with no agenda. Just make a friend. Love that friend. Can't, I mean, love them just because you love them. No strings attached. Man, if you start seeing people and looking for God in people, that's my secret. I go into these prisons. I say, brothers. I am not coming here to try to bring God to you. I'm trying to find God in you because he's surely there. He's inside. He's just waiting to be ignited. And when you look at somebody like that and search for God in them, they can't hate you. Even if they want to, they can't because it's the way you see them. 
And I saw that over and over in these places. These are my brothers. I've been back to see them. I love them. One of them hit me up on Facebook. He's like, hey, bro, it's Sammy. I said, what's up, Sammy? I don't know who Sammy is. He goes, it's me, it's Sammy. I said, I'm sorry, bro, who's that? He says, from La Mesa. And he's like, one of these guys. And I said, what are you doing, bro? He said, I'm out. I was like, congrats. That's awesome, bro. He said, are you going to come back to Tijuana? And I said, yeah, I'm sure I'll come back. And he said, I want you to stay at my house. And I'm like, I'll ask my wife. <laughs> I'm not really sure. I tell my wife, I'm going to stay with this guy. He's a cartel guy, but he's a good guy. But he's, you know, kind of like Target. Anyway, look at their pride and joy. Oh, the kids, man. We got to, hmm. I, I got too, too many stories to tell. Changed my life. That's a cartel soldier. As he was walking away, I had to snap the picture. We had to get his permission so that we could have a party on his field. And we didn't want him to get nervous. And we wanted him to protect us. And, and he did. And we had a party on his field. It was a beautiful day. Even did it on the streets. That's five gangs in downtown Atlanta that do not like one another. And they've come together for a a, a march on solidarity against police brutality, and I was invited, and I was very honored to be able to be invited to that gangster party. And then we started marching, and then I had to bow out when they started saying something that I couldn't do, I couldn't say. So, but it was a, a, a powerful day. You'd be amazed what will bring people together. So we tried it with cops. Tried to get the cops to do the same program the convicts are doing, but the convicts kicked their butts because I couldn't get the cops to do any of the daggum. I couldn't get them to, to do their homework. <laughs> and so, so basically I would come in and I told the brothers, I'd go back and say, listen, you guys are kicking their butts. And so, you know, everybody wants peace. And we took it to the streets and the kids who aren't listening to anybody else, man, they listen to the gangsters. So what's the answer to crime in America? Transform gangsters, transform criminals who will go home and raise their kids. Don't think that people don't. If, if we put the least of these, oh, they're less than. Why? Because the brother's homeless, because the sister is a prostitute, because the brother is a convict, you know, because they have AIDS, because I mean, just keep on saying it, the less than. And then we wonder why our heart grows cold. Man, Jesus is with the least of these. He's waiting for us. And it's all about the kids that are coming up next. And so some people look at my work and say, man, where are, are you still preaching the gospel? And Paul said, one plants, another waters. God makes it grow. And Paul would go from place to place planting seeds so that other people could come through and, and just get the crops. This is a harvest time. The fields are ripe. I mean, people are struggling. People are fighting just to remain sane in today's world. I'm doing addiction counseling, not counseling, but teaching with churches, and it's rampant through pandemic. There's all kind of people reaching out that are struggling with addiction. There's mental illness that is stigmatized and shamed to where people are suffering in silence and don't feel like they can talk about it. And this is where I could have been. This is where I should have been. But instead, <laughs> that's where I get to be. And I'm grateful for it. And these guys, they've saved my life, the least of these. They gave me my heart back. They taught me about respect. They taught me about loyalty. They taught me about integrity. They taught me about preaching 
They taught me about what a true friend is. They taught me about ride or die. They taught me about, hey, man, we will be there for you when we need you or when you need us. They're the ones. And so for the rest of my life, I'm going to continue telling their story, but I'm also going to preach, please get involved. The least of these don't need you. You need them. There's transformative power, and they will give you your heart back. They'll give you your heart back, but you got to get close enough to to feel the magic. So, Steve, I'm going to throw it back. I'm just going to keep rambling and rambling tonight. I get excited when I get to introduce my brothers to the world. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.